to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Jennifer Santoso. And Jennifer, she's going to share a lot about the current markets today, where the capital markets are headed, a little bit about the debt and multifamily. So Jennifer, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me and good to meet you, Eileen. Nice to meet you as well. So Jennifer, can you please share with us a little bit about your background and what your current focus is in today? Sure thing. So I have an interesting background. A lot of people find it unique relative to how I ended up being here in the world of commercial finance. So I was an ethnic studies minor and a cognitive science major, bachelor of science at UCSD. I spent about 15 years doing management and leadership consulting, focusing on organizational effectiveness and leadership effectiveness and organizational design. And I spent a bit of time co-leading a business leadership group and also performing leadership and soft skills training. It got to the point in my career where I felt like I wanted to be challenged more and learn something new. So I ended up listening to Bigger Pockets podcasts. And there's one episode on multifamily syndication that piqued my interest due to the complexity of it and the scale. So since I had background facilitating, I decided to stand up a real estate investing meetup. And at this point, I've got other people running it. You might know it as Opportunity Knox Meetup in San Diego. And I met Toro Capital Advisors through there. I felt a very strong synergy, applied for my real estate license and got it. And here I am today, three years in. Awesome. So Jennifer, where do you see the capital markets right now? Like, What are you seeing in the space? There's so much movement that's going on. I know there's it's one of the hottest topics right now in real estate, especially. So what are your takes on it so far? I would say the majority of the like extreme lack of clarity and confusion is starting to settle down. So we're seeing a little bit more confidence in the markets and a little bit more activity as opposed to before. For instance, less refinances at the end of 2022, but more now. And I think it's because the rates are looking like they're settling. When and it'll in my perspective, it could be a high rate, but if it settles, then people can aim their strategy towards that. So as they're settling right now, is there speculation that they will continue to settle or will they continue to go down by the end of 2023? Or will there still be a little bit of an increase? I think there's still going to be a little bit of an increase. But beyond that, I don't have a crystal ball. So I'm not seeing or hearing of more movement beyond a tiny bit more increase. So in today's market, is it more challenging now for syndicators and operators to obtain debt and with the lenders? Absolutely. So I'm seeing equally as many deals as before, but we're having to say no to more deals due to various reasons. And when it comes to your point, GPs, sponsors, and syndicators, 
Um, the factors that are really allowing folks to gain financing, underwrite appropriately, and close on a deal, I'd say are sufficient experience, a net worth equal to or greater than the loan amount requested, at least 5% liquidity post-closing, and a business plan that makes sense, meaning the asset, the cash flow, et cetera. And back to the sufficient experience portion, we're looking at best case scenario, maybe four to five deals in total, and at least two deals that have closed a cycle. Now we can flex on that and have one deal that's closed a cycle and maybe three or four deals under the sponsor's belt. So if you meet all those criteria, are there any other reasons why or have sponsors and GPs been denied lending as well? Honestly, not really. It's hard to meet that criteria. So usually if those three boxes are checked, usually the money's still going to flow in that direction. If people are finding having a challenge getting financing with 100% on each of those items, they're looking at the wrong banks is my guess, or just something that they're assessing is off. There's various places you can look. So you can go to large banks, small banks, local banks, community, hard money, private money, and you can put a bridge loan in there as like a temporary tool. So there's lots of strategies, but no, if you check the box on all of those, you should be good. What I will say is a lot of times people are finding, let's say hypothetically, everything's good except the experience and net worth portion. If that's the case with a lot of newer syndicators, the best thing to do is team with somebody who's got the balance sheet and the experience. Naturally, if that person's going to be a co-GP, they're going to take an ownership stake in the project. In terms of the underwriting side of things, has it been more stringent on what the lenders are looking for as compared to in the past? Absolutely. So I would say debt to service coverage ratio is anywhere between 1.2 to 1.35. So a 1.35 is a little uncomfortable for people. Sometimes even when I say 1.25, it's uncomfortable. They're looking more towards like, I don't know, 1.1. So DSCRs are, there's a larger range. And in some cases they're going up. We're in an environment right now with negative cap rate to interest rate ratio is has flipped. Interest rates naturally are higher. So the cash flow and the underwriting has to make sense, which is forcing a lot of buyers to bid lower because they need to leave room for all of the financing margins and whatnot. And so that's what we've seen has been causing a gap between the seller and the buyer price point. But we're slowly starting to see that merge, a little bit more reality coming in. What about the reserves? Are there any lender requirements to have a certain percentage of reserves? Yeah. So we like to see 5% liquidity post-closing at least. The more, the better. Absolutely. So Jennifer, earlier you had mentioned that you're seeing a lot more deal flow, but lenders are more likely to not approve as many loans as before. Why is that the case? So I wouldn't say that I'm seeing more deal flow. I would say it's like equal, but we're having to say no to more. And it's just, I would say it's mostly because the buyers are 
many times they're opportunistic in underwriting to like a four or 5% rate when that's just not where we are today. I think anyone who's keeping an active eye on, on the rates just knows they can't underwrite to that. So then all of their projections and proceeds are off based on that incorrect underwriting. So that, that's one. And I would say because the lending parameters are a little bit tighter, so for more recourse, less non-recourse, maybe more stringent prepay options. In the past, you could cut it down, but there's some cases they're requiring the prepay to be met. Just stuff like that. Buyers are finding themselves in a position where they're just, they've got less options. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. What if it's a first-time syndicators or operators who are looking to get and obtain agency debt? Are there any other requirements? And is it more stringent to obtain agency debt? Uh, That's a good question. So I haven't done too many agency deals myself. I'm doing one at the moment of Freddie Fannie Green construction takeout loan for multifamily development locally in San Diego. But to your question, for the first time syndicators, those folks are going to need to team with somebody who's more experienced and has done maybe a round or two with Freddie Fannie to be able to get them through. The current client that I'm working with has worked with hard money in the past to get a number of cycles under his belt. And at this point for the construction takeout, that's when he's hiring Toro Capital to arrange the takeout loan. Earlier, you had also said in their underwriting, a lot of operators, they estimate 4 to 5% for the interest rates. What is the typical rate that the lenders would like to see? Completely depends on the lender, their risk tolerance. So I would say the absolute lowest rates you'll see today are in the high fives and like absolute lowest because they still need to have a spread to make money on what we're so far and LIBOR is landing today, right? So we've got Prime at seven something. So far and LIBOR are both at four something. So the banks themselves need to make money. So I'm going to say again, the high fives. So more commonly, we're seeing rates in the low sixes to mid sixes as still a low, more acceptable range. If you're getting into construction, then you're going to see higher rates due to the risk associated, maybe like sevens to nines. Bridge loans, I would also say maybe like sevens, eights to tens. Private money, hard money, you're going to see rates in the, I want to say 10 to like like 12s. But of course, when you get into those more unique loan situations, you could buy down the prepay or buy down the rate or whatnot. Are you seeing a lot of rate caps being purchased also now? 
Great question. Yes. There's so many ways to hedge your risk on your financing. Rate caps and rate swaps are both good ways to hedge your risk. And there's actually like specific consultants out there that will do this work for you. Many times a floating rate loan plus a rate, the appropriate rate cap and or swap at the appropriate timing will give you a better proceeds for the lifetime of the loan than a fixed rate loan. Rate caps are expensive for a reason, but when applied correctly, they do well for your underwriting. What are some of the terms of the current rate caps that you're seeing? So I haven't worked too much with them, but what I have seen is something... I mean, they're expensive. Something in the range of like a hundred or 150000 for every million. You said the rate caps and then the rate swaps. Can you elaborate a little bit on the rate swaps? Unfortunately, I don't know too much about them, but all I know is that when it comes to the right timing of the loan, if the sponsor's in a bind, they can pay to swap out the spread on top of the SOFAR LIBOR on their loan to a different rate. So it would stay floating, but then they can pay to swap it out in a strategic time to change the outcome of their financing. For newer syndicators and for people looking to obtain debt in this current market right now, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you're seeing? We talked about some of them in terms of interest rate assumptions and the liquidity. Any other major things that you're seeing that people are making mistakes on? Yeah. So I'm going to revisit the topic of having sufficient experience. So I've spoken with tons of early syndicators and my heart totally matches where theirs is at because they're in a an entrepreneurial space. Like, let's do this. Let's take over the world. And I think that's fantastic. However, I don't think they realize that financing isn't like a, do you like me type of a game? There's a tiny, a tiny, tiny bit of that, but it's really more of a, are you qualified game? And then again, the qualifications are different for large banks, local banks, et cetera, et cetera, right? I would say that a lot of early syndicators just simply don't have the experience naturally. The one thing that I've seen recently, very talented people, and they even had a co-GP with the experience and balance sheet. However, that co-GP wasn't going to be executing. Therefore, his experience is not going to be taken into consideration by the lenders. So when I say experience, the sponsors having experience as a sponsor of prior deals of a similar size and asset and market. Sometimes the lender wants to see that the sponsor lives in the same market or has closed deals in that same market before. A lot of times you have people who are like, oh, well, I'm really smart which is totally valid, a fantastic track record professionally. I have tons of transferable skills. Unfortunately, that's just not going to cut it. Again, we're looking at how much experience has the sponsorship team had as sponsors of similar deals of a similar size and market. So I hope that clarifies it. I'm sorry, I'm just going to add one more little example. So I have people who come to me and say, I have run hotel operations for 20 years, or 
I have functioned in every single function of a large mixed use development, except for being a sponsor. Unfortunately, that's not going to cut it. So this person would have to bring on the sponsor with the balance sheet and with the experience to team with to be able to take down the appropriate loan. And this person has to be the executor in addition to the primary one. That's going to strengthen the package. So they have to have a significant role in helping to operate the actual property and the investment. Exactly. In terms of the future environment and lending requirements, are there anything else that we're, we can anticipate changing in terms of lending and the environment in the upcoming you know, months or so? I mean, I think you've hit somewhat of a blind spot for me. I don't know about what to expect for lending coming up. But what I can say is I'm anticipating a lot more activity third and fourth quarter of 2023 and all of 2024 and on. I think people are going to get used to where the rates are settling. And I think that the sellers, because there's been a tremendous gap between sellers and buyers, right? Sellers, to no fault of their own, think that their property is special. So they're not coming down on price. And then buyers, again, due to the challenges that the financial market has brought, are forced to underwrite at a lower price. So then there's this gap. That on its own has caused a lot of retrading in the financing process from both banks and from sellers. So again, in second half of 23 and all of 24, I do see this gap bridging, right? So the buyers are going to understand where they need to come and be prepared at for the financing. And then the sellers are going to understand, okay, well, they're going to have accepted the emotional impact of this market where we are. And there's going to be more of a meeting point. You also ask like what to see coming forward. I will say, and this is a little bit of a plug for what I do, but I will say that a lot of, again, very entrepreneurial people will say, I'm going to talk to five to 10 banks or however many banks. That's all good and well. And maybe and it's possible to land on a fantastic product, fantastic rate for your project. But I also will say that even five to 10 banks researching that is really like one thousandth of a view of what capital advisor or broker has. So Toro Capital has counting upwards of 4,500 to 5,000 lenders in our network nationwide, all lending types, all asset types, and upwards of 700 institutional equity partners. So we simply have a broader view and we're in the capital markets all the time. We understand the strategy behind it. As buyers and sellers start to realign themselves because of what we just talked about, the sellers are going to realize the current environment and then they're going to start to come down a little bit. Do you foresee more deals closing and less of this retrade happening? Absolutely. On the bank side, when we've been seeing retrading on the bank side, it's because they want to capture their yields. So I've even seen one bank just simply call a loan due prematurely and not offer the extensions that were initially written into the initial terms of the loan. So that leaves the sponsor in a difficult position. And then that bank also, they want to do is they want to recapture their money and lend it out at a higher rate because as we were seeing, the Fed rate were being hiked up. Awesome. Jennifer, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you do? 
So let's see. I think the best way is to go to torocapitaladvisors.com, hit the bullpen tab, and then scroll down to my name, Jennifer Santoso. So there's a short bio of me, and then there's a lot of contact information on that page. So it's T like Tom, A like Apple, U like Umbrella, R like Robert, O like Oscar, capitaladvisors.com. Jennifer, thank you so much for all of your time today. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you, Eileen. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.